This is the Crystal Gemcast, the analytical Stephen Universe podcast. Yes, this is the Crystal Gemcast. Welcome to episode two. I'm Joseph. And I'm Ami. And we're here to talk about Stephen. And if you think we can't, we'll always find a way. We interrupt this podcast for an important news bulletin. Hey, there's going to be spoilers. So anyway, before we get on to the main discussion, it's about time I think we should uh, look at the comments. And uh, I'd like to thank people who uh, commented for the first time, especially given that we're such a new show. It has been a surprise to see how well we've actually done. I mean, I never expected to get that many listeners, to be honest. I would have been happy to get five. <laughs> how many did we get, by the way? I think we've uh, we've had over 150 which, again, just makes my mind explode. Well, I have to account for, like, at least 15 of those views, though. Oh, dear, you had to go and point that out, didn't you? <laughs> anyway, so um, these comments we got, we got from Reddit. Thank you very much, Redditors, for giving us a quite nice welcome. And the comment we got is from Viking977, who says, I think I could do without the pop culture sound clip interruptions. But other than that, Fantastic discussion. I'd gladly watch more. So we've um, comments we've had generally have sort of said the similar thing. Uh, I think we better recognise that. Um, so yeah, we understand that we might have gone a little overboard with the pop culture stuff, but we listened to it without, and we felt that the show was getting a bit dry without them. Now, if you might have noticed, we're actually starting a new uh, stru- show structure. That is, we actually have a show structure now, which uh, hopefully will help us to be a little bit less rambly. Although that is kind of our signature style, even from the start, so I don't know how well that will do. And also with our clips, we'll mostly now just be using illustrative clips from Steven Universe, with maybe the odd joke thrown in. But I mean literally the odd joke. So that's, um, thank you very much for your um, feedback, because every bit of feedback we get, we'll read, as long as uh, there's no, uh, not angry or cursing or whatever. And we do really want to know what you think, because without your help... I don't know how well we'll do with this. So thanks again. Now, I'd really like to start this show with talking about what our f- favorite musical number is. Yes. There's a bunch of them in the show, and there's a lot of background music that is definitely noteworthy, but uh, specifically the musical numbers where there are lyrics. Uh, now, uh, what, what's your favorite? Um, I think my favorite is the song from Full Disclosure, because it, it reminds me of a band that I like from the late 90s. They're called Semisonic. Oh, man. They're great. Okay, so I, I take it you have heard of them then? Yes, I I have them on most of my playlists. Wow, that's good to know. Oh, well, I just I'm a, I'm a sucker for a baseline. And they did they did have some good ones of those. Most of you guys out there probably know them if you're from America at least from their hit song "Closing Time." Yeah, that's that's how I first uh, heard of them. But on the same album, um, us in Britain, our big hit was another song called "Secret Smile." Oh, yeah, I think I've heard that one before. So, I mean, the song from Full Disclosure just makes me think of that. And the reason I really, really like it, apart from the fact it reminds me of a band I like, is it really gets to the core of Stephen's dilemma in the episode about the fact that he doesn't want Connie. He doesn't want her to get hurt. And it's also quite clever because it allows the show to recap the previous season finale because the show takes place directly after the events of that episode. But it's actually the first episode of season two. And 
So if you were watching it in the proper order before they created that Stephen Bond thing and just shoved them all together, <laughs> you might have forgotten what was going on. And so that way it also allows new people to see what happened. You know, it made it a good jumping on point. It does uh, what Supernatural does, but better, because Supernatural, every uh, season beginning, ending, and usually sometimes during a midpoint, you know, they uh, crank up Carry On My Wayward Son and show a clip of, or a montage of uh, everything that's happened beforehand that's relevant to the current storyline. But the the song, while it is, it's great, is sort of contextless. And unlike, say, the episode where uh, they have Heat of the Moment playing over and over again. And that's sort of why I also like Full Disclosure so much, is that it, it's able to accomplish that while still furthering the plot. I also quite like the fact that they put Steven's ringtone as part of the melody. Oh yeah, I, I thought that was really clever. It also helps that it's a really quite good hook to the song as well. Everybody tells me life is precious. So what's your favorite? Oh, I, I really couldn't decide. Stronger Than You is... I mean, if it's not on anybody's favorite list, they probably haven't seen that episode. Uh, <laughs> it, it's a song that stands on its own and is probably one of the stronger numbers of the entire show. But uh, I also have a deep love for Strong in the Real Way. In musical theater, I can't remember who made this dichotomy, but... Someone uh, once said that there are two types of songs in musical theater. There are the I am songs, you know, uh, I am X and I do this and this is my life and I want. Like, you know, the Little Shop of Horrors opening song is sort of a mixture of both with Seymour is, you know, I'm poor and I just work at the shop and I'm sort of, you know, downtrodden and, you know, I just want a better life, etc. and so forth. And so Strong in the Real Way is a very strong I want song in that it shows uh, how much Stephen looks up to his caretakers and the gems in general, and especially this new strong fusion and wants to emulate that so much. Yet Pearl also seeks that approval from Stephen and wants to be looked up to. I think what I really like about Strong in the Real Way apart from the fact that you have two people singing different things to the same melody, which mm -hmm. I really like in a song because it really shows how, you know, in, in, in the episode, Stephen has this idea of strength, which is all physical and macho and all that. And Pearl's talking more about emotional strength. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, I mean, the whole point of the episode is that Stephen actually realizes that Pearl's sort of strength is more important than the sort of inner strength. The other thing I really like about it, I agree with you when you say it's an I want song. What I like is how they, they sing what they want, but what they want is a want for other people. Like, Pearl wants Stephen to realise about what strength is, you know, inner strength. And Stephen is trying to inspire his friends with their fitness regime. Neither of them are being terribly um, selfish with it. Yeah, but I do think that what they're, uh, even though that it is a want, I want song in that respect that what they really want isn't exactly what they state, because while Pearl wants to be looked up to, that it's more that respect that, uh, you know, she wants to inspire him. She wants to be the uh, one of the bigger influences in uh, his life. But Stephen, while he wants to be that immediately strong, it's not just because he wants to be strong. It's that he wants to emulate someone that he looks up to. 
think that's fair. And as for Stronger Than You, obviously, it's a favourite of mine too. I mean, we did kind of pick a version of it for our theme tune. <laughs> Thank you very much to the UC Berkeley for making that. We really appreciate you letting us use it. What I like about um, Stronger Than You as a song is how many layers it just operates on. Because, I mean, it has it has a layer to do with the plot, but it's also very much a song about identity. And I think it's something that people can take quite a lot from. Yeah, and I do think that in many respects, it is the opposite of Strong in the Real Way in that it is an I am song. You know, uh, I am their theory, I am the, their patience, I am a conversation. And that it really does reintroduce Garnet as a character because uh, she is somewhat stoic or more stoic than the rest of the gems and we don't and thus hasn't gotten as much focus and so we get to see a bit into garnet and how she sees herself and somewhat more loquacious in the song than she is with regular lines yeah she usually um says not very much at all very laconic and that's why i think that it works well as a reintroduction usually when we're introduced to garnet it is through someone else's eyes and usually it's just Stephen's pure admiration. Yeah, like that episode where he basically imagines what a day's like and turns it into an episode of Samurai Track. I mean, he accepts a rock from her and treats it as if she just brought back, like, riches from the ocean floor. Yeah, there's a lot of um, looking up to her, which, again, going back to the other song, you know, something that Pearl possibly is a bit worried that she doesn't have because she's the, the worried one. Maybe that's part of it. And also because, I mean, he is the legacy of Rose Quartz. And as much as she does like Stephen, she does also, she equally cares about the legacy he represents and, you know, that lingering emotion that she still has for Rose Quartz. Yeah, and we will definitely be getting into that when we get to the uh, Gems episode, which will hopefully be coming up within the next couple of episodes. And it's going to turn into Good Eats with, oh, that's going to be in another episode. What is Good Eats? Oh, uh, a show uh, by Alton Brown. It's a uh, he's a cook, but he uh, originally studied film and was going to be a director. And so he sort of brings that into the cooking show and sort of turns it into a uh, a Bill Nye Beekman's World, um, Mister Wizard version of a cooking show, and it's actually quite interesting. I'll take your word for it. I could show you how to be strong in the real way and I know that we can be strong in the real way and I want to inspire you I want to be your rock and when I talk it lights a fire in you So first we're going to talk about Steven because he is the titular character now, uh, as we mentioned in the previous episode, he is based off of uh, Rebecca Sugar's brother, and that he's uh, somewhat involved in the creation process, though I couldn't really find much on that, uh, beyond that. Uh, I am a bit more uh, more than curious to uh, fig- figure out uh, what he's been involved with, specifically. I would too, but unfortunately, the problem we have is he's a storyboardist, and all that sort of thing was probably um, only privy to the people that work on the show. Yeah, well, I guess we'll have to wait until the DVD extras. Which I'm not opposed to waiting for. Oh, yeah. I gotta admit, I buy DVDs for those behind-the-scenes extras. I generally just like having a collector's set of everything, so I can go back to episodes when I want instead of waiting for it to come around, especially since, I don't know about you, right, but in the in the UK, they only pick the same ones over and over and over again. 
oh, they do that here too. So you miss most of the episodes. You only get the ones they really want you to see, and it's really tiresome. And the, the ones that are the most popular tend to get shown the most, unless it's a very climactic episode in which it's shown once in a blue moon, usually through those marathons that they'll show leading up to a new episode or a season finale or a season premiere. Or if it's like a show that the uh, censors didn't like very much, you, you will see less. I think that's true. Now back to Stephen. To start off with talking about Stephen, I think it would be good to compare him with other characters. Right. Um, with other characters, you know, that are uh, his age, they tend to be there just to be cute or annoying. Like that one uh, character from Full House, what was her name? The one played by the Olsen twins. She was there initially just to be a baby. And then once she was able to speak, it was just constant catchphrases. Wait, you mean they both play one character? Well, yeah. I mean, that's why twins are actually a valued commodity in Hollywood, because they allow filmmakers to circumvent a lot of child labor laws by swapping in one child star when the other child star has hit their hours limit. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. I also uh, remember that when I heard the first heard the name Mary-Kate and Ashley, I thought there was three of them. <laughs> But other child characters like uh, Timmy Turner, for example, that are similarly aged, etc. and so forth, tend to be more adult-like than their age would allow. Like, Timmy's able to reference things that, when I was his age, I probably wouldn't have been very knowledgeable about. I mean, I mean look at Bart Simpson. I think Bart Simpson really started that off. You know, the character that's obviously aged eight or something, but then he just goes between talking about things that he obviously would have no recollection of. Or if we're going to go unnecessarily further back, Pearl from The Scarlet Letter. So these sort of characters have been around for a long time, and it's very rare for you to actually see a character act their age. Either they'll act too far down and be too childish for their age, or they'll act too far above and be too old for their age. Like, especially, say, Lisa Simpson. Yeah, oh yeah, or like sort of like a mix of both, like uh, Clarissa's little brother from Clarissa no uh, explains it all. Yeah, I mean, you can have times when they will just ping pong between not knowing that much and then knowing too much. Oh, the worst for that, I would say, is Stewie Griffin from Family Guy. Yeah. His I entire character is based on the fact, I mean, at least before he had, when he had a character and he was super villain Stewie, that made sense. Yeah, because he was a super intelligent tiny baby. But now he's a super intelligent tiny baby whose entire characteristic is that he might be a little bit flowery. But there's also that thing where he like he is selectively innocent, like uh, especially in his uh, interactions with kids his age, like Bertrand and uh, Olivia. Exactly. And that's kind of worrying. I mean, I don't know. Sorry, I, I wouldn't say worrying, but it gets tiring because that's just a one note character. I suppose it makes a good fodder for jokes. But like any sort of thing, it just runs out really, really quickly. You see, the main thing I like about Steven is the fact that when compared with kids, I'd say he's really accurate, especially yeah. in the way they allow him to feel. Yeah, uh, because you don't really see that a lot. I mean, Rugrats was very, very revolutionary in many respects, but the emotional growth never really seemed to, well, understandably because how time works in that show they never really mature that much. I mean, the furthest we got was Chucky just saying no. That was actually brilliant. It, I mean, very, very, very accurate. But to think that we've 
Rugrats went on for years and years, and that's about as much um, childhood development we really got from it. Oh. Or when they, they learned to not suck their thumbs, it might turn them into a duck. Well, yeah, and sometimes they even slid backwards where uh, that episode where uh, to- they tried to wean Tommy. But when we look at Stephen, he reminds me of a lot of children because a big part of his character is how he wants to be helpful and kind to others. But he doesn't exactly know how to do so. Yes, that's the main thing. He's not exactly socially aware, as a lot I think a lot of children aren't. And while that often helps him, because he's not going around being someone he's not, for the most part, I mean, there are times when he has done that, but generally when he's interacting with people, he's just himself. And that's a really good thing, and I think that's a thing that a lot of people can sort of forget, especially when they're in uh, situations where they want to impress people. But the thing with that is that um, that lack of social knowledge is not always a good thing, because you then go around meddling in people's affairs. Especially Lars and Sadie's. Yeah, and that can cause a lot of problems. Although not usually problems for him. (laughs) You know we can't add anything to the donuts. It's just a little fire salt. I was going to prank Lars. He did really hurt my feelings. A little. But what kind of person does that make you if you try to hurt him back? A hero? To be fair, though, he has everyone covering for him. Lars and Sadie clean up his messes and never throw Steven out, unlike the uh, pizzas. Garnet and the Crystal Gems are usually there to protect him, especially Garnet. Steven risked third-degree burns for a high five, and the only reason he walked out of that scot-free was because of Garnet. That's true. But even though there is this lack of social awareness, it's not that he is completely ignorant of it. I mean... He is very complex of a character in that a lot of characters, when they do have, to this point, an accurate child character, we only get that much. But Stephen has all the anxieties of a child as well, Uh, you know, wanting to impress others, fear of failure, fear of being disowned, and a lot of these underlying fears that you don't really get to see out of child characters. I think that's something that's come in more recently, that a lot of uh, shows, they really, really didn't like to show that sort of thing. We really got that, from, I think, from characters like... Um, Opie? I, I wouldn't know who that is. The Andy Griffith Show. Okay, yes, that, that is before my time. It might have been shown here, but I never got to see it. But, uh, I mean, when we're talking about animation, we're talking like the gang from Avatar or Finn right. from Adventure Time. Now, actually, are you sure? Because when I see Adventure Time, it's mostly like Finn trying to do the biggest high five ever involving catapults, trying to see a movie... <laughs> Yeah, I agree with that. That's early adventure time. Oh, As the oh. series went on, it really started to push the emotional aspects of Finn. Uh, he is kind of a mess right now. Oh. And that is something that really sort of I really like about the show. Oh. It's very much character driven. I should probably check that out because I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I was just a little impatient with the show. But if it's gotten that good. Then... Unfortunately, a lot of shows tend to take a while before they get good. I mean, yeah. that, not that I'm saying that Adventure Time wasn't good. It was good, but it was good in a different way. I think it's not so much that the quality of the show got better. Is it that it took a new direction? Yes, I think that's probably the way to put it. When we were looking up Stephen, we noticed that Rebecca Sugar in a question and answer session mentioned that she based a lot of the characters off on the theory of emotional development. And the first stage of that theory is called codependency and is generally the sort of stage that most children would be at. 
And it's the stuff that we were talking about, that, that children are often, you know, reactive and act without thinking of the consequences. Again, we said that in that case, it's because children are often being protected by their parents. Right. And, you know, you mentioned that Stephen was... Is protected by literally everybody in his life, even to his detriment. Yeah. Like, uh, keeping him out of the loop when it, in regards to the, the invasion. You can kind of see a lot of parallels with a lot of current well-developed child characters like uh, Clementine from uh, Telltale Games' spin-off of The Walking Dead. And Clementine starts off much the same as Steven, especially in the first game, is uh, similarly protected and tends to try to find her place in whatever uh, small group she's in. Where they really diverge, though, is that while Clementine understandably hardens and becomes more mistrustful, yet more competent, Stephen becomes more competent but still is able to retain some hope and innocence in a deceptively dark world, just as much as The Walking Dead, sans zombies. Oh, but I don't really have anything against squares. I like all basic shapes. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about. You got that much needed counterpoint to our cynical worldview. You have to come. It's good energy flow. Well, that's the thing. I think with the issue of The Walking Dead, is it's a world where everything is constantly going wrong for everyone. And that, I mean, The Walking Dead, as a, as a phrase, it isn't really about the zombies, is it? It's about the fact that humanity is really, really horrible to each other. And I think the difference with that and Steven Universe is, although there's a lot of stuff happening in the background, a lot of bad stuff that's going to come in the future for Earth because of the uh, the gem homeworld and all the stuff that's going on there. Steven, at least, there is some hope. I think that's the main difference. Yeah, I, I understand. Uh, and, and I think that Steven's ability to retain innocence is partly in, uh, due to his support structure and that... Clementine consistently loses any and all support structure, but Stephen still retains his. And I think that's part of why Stephen is able to at least retain a veneer of outgoing, blissful innocence. Of course, that can um, also not always be a good thing. I'm um, Looking back at the theory of emotional development, it says that people that, are, that show codependency they um they often feel a lack of agency that they're not in control of their lives and they feel like the stuff they do often backfires. I think we definitely see that with Steve and they. Oh yeah, because every episode before Cheeseburger Backpack, it was a, almost a uh, I Love Lucy esque. Hey, can I be part of the mission? Can can I do the mission? Can I can I run the register? Can can I come with a car wash and do some car washing? And this consistent, I want to be part of whatever anyone is doing. It's not just that, though. I mean, there was a time when um, in Cheeseburger Backpack, he goes to the Crystal Speed, uh, the Crystal, what is it called again? Uh, the Sea Spire, I believe. Yeah, the Sea Spire. And when he finds out that's a test and he failed it, that really, really gets to him to the point that he really wants a new one. And then he gets amazingly angry when he finds out that the test is rigged because it's going back to that fact that he doesn't feel like he's in control of his life. It's like it's weird because the kids they don't think for themselves, but then they get frustrated by the fact that they don't seem to have any control without realizing. Well, you're not really going to get control of your life while you're still reacting and not thinking of the consequences. Though Stephen does show an amazing amount of emotional maturity that uh, is actually present in children, 
but uh, isn't shown as much uh, because children do absorb everything they see, everything they hear, and everything that's told to them or people say about them, and they and they internalize them. So uh, Stephen shows a remarkable amount of maturity in how he handles the test when uh, he realizes that Garnet, Amethyst, and Pearl are just as lost about parenting as he is about being a gem. Oh, of course. I mean, to be fair, when it comes to this uh, theory, the argument made is that it's not that everyone just fits into one specific grouping. It's that we all have elements of, you know, independentness or codependency, you know, counterdependency. Like um, when we go into Amethyst, she's very much acting against, you know, like sort of a teenagerish rebellion. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Stephen often transcends where he people would think he should be. But, I mean, we're looking back to it. Um, one thing that happens, especially with children, is if someone they care about is um, emotionally attacked by another person, it's as if they're being attacked. They can't really distance themselves. It's why um, a lot of kids, if you insult something they really, really like, they take it personally. And Stephen definitely has a fear of that because he at least uh, is aware of that fact. And during, what was it? I can't remember the episode name. Bookends? I think so. Um, that he fears Connie feeling attacked when Stephen disagrees. And I feel that is very telling about how Stephen handles everything. And that one of the biggest fears that he has is that people will dislike him because of a differing opinion, which is why when Onion has something he wants, his first thought isn't, I'm going to steal it, or I'm going to do something that would hurt Onion. It's that I want to find something to trade Onion so that I can get that guy. Also, I mean, when you look at it, the first episode, and how Stephen reacts to the fact that the Cookie Cat ice cream is being discontinued. Oh. He takes that very, very badly. Well... Kids take a lot of things ending badly. I mean, I still remember Tenshi Moyo ending. I remember the first end of Dexter's Lab before it was revived and had different animation, etc. so forth. It is very, very common thing. Going back to what we were saying earlier about um, Stephen's frustration, it also extends to his powers, because he has the powers of his mother. So he has the power to uh, make a bubble and to make, bring out a shield. The problem is he's, he doesn't know how to use them. He can use the bubble occasionally, but all of the thing with his powers is with the other gems, they just get their weapons out and start wailing on people. Steven's powers are defensive, and they only happen instinctively. And I think that's the sort of thing, especially with children, or pretty much anyone actually, you know, oftentimes we're asked to do things and we don't even understand how we can do them and we don't even know where to start, and we feel this sort of expectation. We're sort of treated as if uh, we're as competent as an adult, but only when we mess up, and so that our successes are minimized, but our failures are uh, magnified. I think that's just how people feel in general. But I think this narrative extends not just to how people feel in general, but there's this expectation that once you hit a certain age that you should be ex-competent. Oh, Stephen, you don't have healing tears. You'll never have any real magic powers, and we don't want anything more to do with you. She didn't really say that. No, but that's what it felt like. 
what Stephen has in regards to his fear of failure is something that you don't see even in works that have emotionally well-developed characters that are children as well. Like in Avatar, Aang does suffer failures, but none of them suffer from his inability to do something. It's usually external, like uh, his inability to get the two tribes trying to go through the valley together to get along, or his inability to stop the Fire Nation immediately. But he burns through all of his Avatar State training relatively quickly, and the only reason he doesn't completely master it is because he decides to uh, go and save Katara. And the only reason he's not able to access it at will is because of that injury to his lower back from Azula's lightning bolt, which was almost pure accident. And so Aang never has to worry about how do I shot Webb. Uh, and even when he does, it's usually resolved within a day or two in the show where he's learning the earthbender mindset and he has trouble working with that, but he learns that within a day. That's fair. But I think Steven's issues with his powers is really just a symptom of the fact that he has issues in some ways with his own existence. He is the first ever human gem hybrid. And because of that, he feels like the other gems have put this sort of weight on him of their expectations. And not only that, but the expectations put on him are the expectations that they had for his mother, who was someone that was very important to them. And it's not even someone that he ever got to meet because, you know, to create Stephen, she had to basically not exist anymore. I mean, I, I think it's sort of a metaphor for people possibly dying in childbirth because I'm sure a lot of people who never really knew their mothers probably feel a similar way. Like, the people are talking about that person and you wish you could probably understand or feel something, but you just can't. I think Stephen showed that in that episode where um, Amethyst got broken. I think you're right in that it, most of Stephen's problems probably actually do come from his emotional well-being, and that that's what links to all the physical stuff that he has to deal with. It's just... I mean, I don't know how to feel about you, but everybody else does. I wish I could have met you. Then this place could make me sad, and I could cry healing tears, like you. Well, I don't think that has to specifically deal with his uh, inability to use his powers, because it was uh, almost pointed out, Stephen, word for word, how his powers work from the sleestack-looking guy from uh, Uncle Grandpa, and that his powers don't stem from cookie cat or heroic kind of thing. It's almost always a paternal need or a maternal instinct or the instinct to protect others. It, it comes from an entirely different emotion that Stephen either does not know how to tap into or just has to Although, to be into. fair, that episode wasn't canon, as they uh, admitted. Well, true, but I think that the joke there was that the Sleestack was telling him word for word how to use his powers, and if Stephen had stuck around to uh, hear the explanation he would have learned how to use his powers very commonly. Maybe, but that's Pizza Steve's fault anyway, for messing with Mr. Gus, so. Uh, who? That's the sleestack-looking guy. Ah. Uh, that, that's the only way I'm able to identify him. In, uh, and I, I think I he's say a crocodile. That... Oh, he is? Because I thought he was a sleestack. 
kind of thing from Land of the Lost. I don't even know what Sleestack is. Just some sort of cryptid, I'm guessing. Land of the Lost was basically, it took Stranded in Space, you know, like the Danger Will Robinson kind of thing, kind of plot, but with a family that went into this sort of crack in the world and went into a pre, like a prehistoric kind of age where there were these alien Sleestacks roaming about and they were highly advanced. That sounds like a weird show. It was, but it was a it, it was for its time a good show. But I got to be honest, I I re- I remember watching it and I remember facts about it, but I don't remember anything that happened in any of the episodes because I watched all of it when I was really I young. See. What I like about Stephen in particular is that he is a heavy protagonist, and that we have a bunch of those, but his weight is not a central characteristic nor a point of contention in the show. Whereas in many shows with heavy characters, it's either the running gag or the crux of their drama storyline or an obstacle. Oh, it's just something negative. Yes. And so with Steven and the entire show, his weight is treated as mundane a characteristic as his brown hair. And no one really comments on anybody's weight in the show. And I think it's really, really wonderful for a show to be able to have a body positivity message in this regard. But not only is Steven a heavy character, but if Too Many Birthdays is any evidence where he reigns heavy his entire life, no matter what age he is. And so if his age mindset controls what age he looks like, it's very possible that he likes the way he looks and wants to keep the weight because he doesn't see that as something negative in himself. And that the only thing that he wishes he were with the uh, fusion episode where uh, with Sugalite was that he wishes he was a, a bit stronger. And that's about it. I think that's quite interesting. What I find interesting also is the fact that that episode, Too Many Birthdays, you know, if you think that if people could have control of how old they are, a lot of children would choose to be adults. I mean, if you've ever seen the film Big. Oh, that was a great movie. But it was all based around the fact that, you know, the kid wanted to be an adult and then he realised, oh gosh, this kind of sucks. Stephen doesn't want to be an adult. Stephen <laughs> just wants to be Stephen. Which is actually kind of fair because I wanted to be an adult when I was a kid. You see the high school kids with cars and you're like, I want to be in high school. They're, they drive There's cars There's certain advantages to being a kid and I think Stephen knows who he is. And that's something that I think is really, really important. But there's also something else interesting in that I don't think that he can age himself to death. Because if you notice that he goes through extreme body changes to the point where he becomes immobile. It is entirely possible that were Steven to live for so long and not be able to control his ability to look like a kid or a, an adult or even an old person except for maybe the gym part of him, it would all deteriorate and he would just become a consciousness that can only observe the world around Personally, him. Personally, I think that what's more likely to happen at that point is that, I mean, if he's part human, he is still susceptible to diseases. You know, and that might mean that he is still susceptible to old age. Well, he's susceptible to allergies, but we've never seen him be sick before. Good point, but I mean, we've not seen anything that suggests that the gems can live forever barring accidents we're not talking about like the doctor or something you know from from doctor who so i think 
in that case? Well, there are theories that Rose sort of regenerated into Stephen, and that were Stephen to die, it would revive Rose. I'm not sure what I think about that theory. I think that sort of negates Stephen's existence, so I don't wouldn't put too much um, weight into that. Oh, I don't put too much stock into it either. I just I, it was just something I thought was kind of interesting that I read on tropes. Yeah, I mean, it's good that people think of these things. But I think when it comes yeah. to that, I don't think it's a topic the series will really go into because I think we probably won't even get to see Stephen as an adult. I mean, we got to see him as an adult because of the way that this episode worked, but it's all about him while he's a kid. Well, do you think that it's sort of like Frasier in that if Stephen ever grows up, the show ends? Much like when like Frasier would end the minute that Frasier would get into a, a relationship that actually lasts. And uh, works well, for he never even parties. managed that. Well, no, he did because that's why the show ended when he was on his way to continue his relationship with his latest romance because implied that it was successful. In that, the you show see, I, I had a totally different opinion on that. I thought it just more that he felt like he had a choice between a new start somewhere where it would be for his career and a choice of a new start somewhere else where he may have success with that girl, and he just picks the girl over his career. And I think that was the main message it was going for. But it's good to know that we have different ideas on that. Oh, yeah. Well, we're about to draw to a close here. Any final thoughts, Joseph? I think for me, the main thing I learned from doing this research is that when it comes to characters, for me at least, I think that Stephen is... One of the most interesting that we've ever had, mainly because unlike other kid characters, it really does feel like an actual kid. He's not there to be cute, although it's kind of based off her brother. It's clear that she's taken Stephen and made a really interesting and unique character out of him. I think that's a credit to the entire writing team. And I think with Stephen, there's so much more that he has in the future to deal with. Because as we keep going further and further in on the series he's having to deal with more and more issues especially to do with the other gems and all the secrets that are being kept from him because obviously as a kid there's only so much to trusting him with but as he's starting to learn all of these things and starting to piece together where he is he's only going to grow and develop as a character and to me that is what i like most about Stephen. what is your opinion what what do you think you've gained from this experience about learning about Steven? All I can say is that I have high expectations. The show has defied a lot of preconceived notions that I had about it before going in, and I'm very glad to be wrong on all those accounts. And I just can't wait to see how I will be surprised. Whether it's a well-hidden plot element that I haven't noticed yet, or whether it's just willing suspension of disbelief at work, I will be very excited to be surprised at what happens next. Yes, we are reaching the end of the episode, and now we're going to give you all the details on how you can contact us. As always, our episodes will appear on SoundCloud, but now you can see us for free on iTunes. We've just been given the green light, I believe it's called. Yes, we're now officially on iTunes. So if you could give us a subscribe or a review, that would help bump us up in the search rankings. And of course, if you're on SoundCloud, also please like and leave your comments there. Please leave comments, because we honestly don't know how this show comes out to you guys. We can only judge this for ourselves. So tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. You know, spread the word. 
But don't just give us your opinion on the show. We'd also like to hear what you thought about what we talked about. Are there any things about Stephen, for instance, or the influences from our past show that you thought that we missed? Please let us know, because we will be reading out all these sort of comments. You can put the comments below each episode on SoundCloud. You can submit the questions to our Tumblr, as we now have a Tumblr. That's uh, thecrystalgemcast.tumblr.com. And I believe we appear on Reddit as well. We do. We always pop a Reddit feed. So if you want to get comments, you can put it through that. If all else fails, you can send an email to crystalgemcast at gmail.com. And you can catch us via tmstash.com, as they will be sharing all of our episodes as they come out. We also have a Facebook and a Twitter page. And that's another way that you can get in contact with us. We'll be putting content on both of those. And the way to see it, of course, is to like the Facebook page or follow us on Twitter. That's wonderful. Yes, there's a long way for the series to go, and we shall hopefully be there for the entirety of it. And the last thing we really need to do is to wish you a good whatever time you listen to this. I'm Joseph. And I'm Ami. And you've been listening to the Crystal Gemcast. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. That was the Crystal Gemcast. Our credits music, Stronger Than You, was written by Estelle and Rebecca Sugar and arranged and performed by UC Berkeley. Steven Universe was created by Rebecca Sugar and is a production of Cartoon Network Studios. Thanks for listening.